So some of you who have listened to me over time uh, have heard me say, don't, don't ask why, but ask what? A why question is circular. The why will always take you in loop-de-loops about because of this, why because, why because, why because, why because. So it's, it's not that we don't do this, and sometimes we really need to. Why, why do I feel cold? Because we need to turn up the heat. So they're very simple why because situations that are totally appropriate, don't add to our confusion, actually, uh, actually help us get warmer. Or uh, why don't we have any, any cream? It's because you forgot to pick it up at the store. That's why. <laughs> so we have a whole bunch of uh, uh, why because that work just fine. And we get so accustomed to being able to say to any situation that arises, well, why is that? Why is that? Uh, then that takes us in a, a circle that is, it's your own personal circle, your own personal karma, your own personal wh- how you, why you look the way you do, why you think the way you do, why you, uh, why, how, why, how. <clears throat> so what I'm endeavoring to point out or talk to you about today is um, those circles would just keep going. And some of those circles, as I said, why isn't there any milk in the refrigerator? Because you didn't get it. I mean, I could go on and on about those, but we all could. Why? Why is this happening? Because of that. But when it comes to your mind stream, when it comes to your emotions, when it comes to that, which I assume everyone here is a meditator, so I can speak to you as I don't have to um, indoctrinate you into meditation. Sit down, hold still, watch what moves. That's chicken taza. Sit down, hold still, watch what moves. Don't add, subtract, or divide to anything that shows up. No why questions. But if you do spontaneously say that, then just observe that. So be very kind to your thought stream. Whatever shows up in the thought stream needs to be there. Even if I say, don't add, don't ask questions, don't as far as why, don't ask why questions, and you spontaneously do it anyway, then it comes with its own permission. So don't fight with it. Don't turn that into some kind of war so that you artificially or somehow structurally or in a masculine kind of way make yourself do that. Big misunderstanding about discipline. Discipline is, if discipline is actually discipline, you won't even notice it. Because it is form. It's just the form. You don't, don't obey anything. Don't obey me. Don't obey anybody. Well, you might have to obey a couple of people. Especially if you're four years old. But you're probably not. So the other O word is observe. Just observe what happens. Whatever's happening in your mind stream, just observe that. Just watch, look at, see the quality, the texture of the emotion or the thought that is arising rather than try to push it down. I don't deserve this. It shouldn't be happening. What the hell's going on here? Don't do any of that. When it shows up, if it shows up in your mind stream as a snake or a dragon or something that is difficult or terrifying as much as you can, just receive that. So the kleshas, passion, aggression, ignorance, pride, envy, and there's all kinds of uh, other forms of grasping, rejecting, going to war, shutting down, closing off, 
all of these things happening. And those happen in the mind stream spontaneously based on the causes and conditions that arise as your particular personality in the first place. Is yours what how you felt when you're eight years old? You notice some of that's still here, and some of it is kind of kind of outgrown now. No guarantees of anything. Sometimes everything's been gone fine until you uh, hit 29 and a half, and suddenly the whole world comes apart based on all kinds of things. But not based on something that you can find, even if you can find it, even if you can say, well, the reason that's happening is you're in your Saturn cycle. This is not true. And I, I was a professional astrologer for a while, so I, I'm able to talk about that a little bit. So there's no way you're going to, um, as far as the clashes, as far as the, the three poisons, there's no way you can clasha proof or protect or create a barrier against those emotions and those feelings and those things that feel like crap. There's no way you're going to be able to do that. And you're especially not going to be able to work with that in an intelligent, uh, accommodating communication, cooperation, collaboration, some kind of way that actually works. If you shut down on it, if you close off, if you blame, even if somebody actually did something to harm you, hurt you, if you blame them, you're buying into the circularity of this world, of this world, and you're actually saying there are, um, um, good guys and bad guys, and there aren't. That's an illusion. That doesn't mean the person who is hurting someone else, abusing someone else, shouldn't be taken away and shouldn't be protected from the rest of the family or the rest of the society, or the rest of the community. They should. But the whole punishment idea is an incredible misunderstanding. And it's, it's all through Buddhism also. Bad karma. <laughs> good karma. But what you can do is when something comes up that is abrasive or diff difficult or threatening or frightening is you can, you can look right at that. If you happen to be sitting, you're already set up in a structure whereby the whole operation there is to just observe, train your mind, shikantaza, just precisely this. And that just look precisely this may feel like crap. And that just precisely this may feel like failure or it may feel like not getting anywhere, or it may feel, it may feel, it may feel, it may feel. It may feel like any number of things, and however it feels, it's a lie. It's not that it isn't relatively true, but, but relative truth is half-truth. It's partially true. The whole world, whole, all of our societies run on partial truth. Cause and effect, right and wrong, up and down, back and forth, good and bad, evil and holy. All these centuries we've been, you know, just in, in the history of the last few thousand years, we're still crazy. Just watch the news for 20 minutes. No, don't, 20 minutes is too much. 10 minutes, watch the news. Okay, CNN's okay. <laughs> Unless it upsets you and then switch over to something else. So what the idea with this uh, talk is uh, why, why ask why? And well, the reason we ask why is we, we want to, to get some kind of, as I said, uh, why, uh, uh, why is uh, my car not starting because I didn't get gas or because the battery is dead. I need to do something about that. Very simple, relative things that works fine for that. 
as the consciousness is downloaded into this human form for a certain short period of time. But who you are hasn't begun and therefore it cannot end. I'll say it again. Who you actually are. Your actual true identity. Has not appeared. You know why it hasn't? Because it can't appear. It can't appear because it's always the case. Difficult to use relative words and concepts and language to describe something that is awareness, awareness, consciousness only. Our mind is flooded with thoughts about right and wrong, up and down, back and forth, success and failure. And it's reinforced by the three poisons or passion, aggression, ignorance, pushing on it, aggression, pulling on it or changing it into or blaming, making or explaining it, analyzing it. Not that we shouldn't do some of that. Of course we should. Or just shutting down, distracting ourselves. Uh, the artificial way of, of using chemicals or the way of, you know, just just jogging. I'm not saying you shouldn't jog. You probably should. I should jog. <clears throat> probably quite a bit. I'll borrow your knees and I'll jog. Seems to be necessary to train our minds. Will you consider yourself a Buddhist or just someone that's interested in how their mind works? You decided to see how this looks. I think it's helpful to get us uh, come as deeply as you can into this 2,500 year old tradition, but that's up to you. The only thing I really highly recommend and would probably argue with you about is train your mind. That means nothing more than sit down and hold very still and watch what continues to flutter around in the mind. Just observe it. Don't add. Don't subtract. Don't ignore. Just watch that and realize your true nature. You may need Buddhism. You may not. You may need a teacher. You may not. Likely, unlikely to realize what this is without someone to say, uh, no, no, back over here. No, 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 come back here. It's that simple and that difficult and that scary or that irritating. <clears throat> you name it, and any emotion will come up attendant to that kind of a, a feeling or direction. So if you ask a what question, something arises in the mind stream or something uh, arises uh, as you're uh, chopping carrots in the kitchen, someone that you're with or live with or says something about this or you hear about this happening to, to your next door neighbor. And then I would say insofar as you can, just observe, just receive whatever comes and don't tack on your commentary, your post-it notes, or your, your elaborations on that, imaginary or otherwise. Are you bowing? Is there a way to tell when we're tacking on the imaginary bowing? Eventually. 
what happens is rather than you can remove that, stop doing that, rather it because you something arises, I'll, I'll do it very literally like a tell a story. Something happens in the mind stream, either in the kitchen or on the meditation cushion. You have meditation, the actual actual exercise of holding very still and watching what continues to move, which trains the mind to uh, uh, um, witness, see something without doing anything with it. Without You train your mind to do nothing but receive, observe, observe, receive. Whereas when you get out into the kitchen, because we're involved in all the body movements, which are not separate from the mind, body mind are not two different things. So when we're moving around, then the feeling of being someone somewhere in some room doing a particular project and talking to another person about a particular, I can go on and on, that creates an incredible illusion of separateness. You're somebody somewhere doing something with another person who is saying something to you. And we get enamored of, we get magnetized into that. But we can't really, you, when you're in the situation, you can't do anything but be as, as aware as possible. You probably won't be able to modify your behavior. And I don't recommend that you try. What I do say is take, take the body mind aside, sit down and train your mind. So when you get up off the cushion and go into what we call post meditation, there's just more clarity. There's more openness. Uh, there, the ego might feel show up as not knowing, not being as clear, not really getting it, seeing, think, even thinking that meditation is really helping because I'm actually feeling worse. No, you're feeling what you now you're feeling what you've been covering up all these years. You're beginning to actually find out who you are fundamentally, and the pathway through that can be very painful. Further questions? I can continue to talk or go ahead. Shokabang, earlier you said who you are can't appear. Yes. What is it that's appearing? Uh, uh, appearance. Things, objects, stuff, earlobes, smiles, frowns, dog barks, barf. You know that's not a real dog. <laughs> I mean, I'm just being silly, but I'm just saying things are just showing up, but who you are doesn't show up. It is not separate from anything. What has no otherness to it can't suddenly appear somehow as other. It's that vast. It is that profound. And it is that simple. More? Shokabang. Does the appearance or the otherness point us to seeing who we are? Eventually, if you just observe the otherness, the, the other person, the otherness in terms of what you're thinking about that you weren't thinking 10 minutes ago that is now an other because it's something you're thinking about, worried about, concerned about, evaluating. Any kind of thought pattern that arises, if you can just see it, smell it, taste it, hear it, feel it, think it, without anything extra, no, no elaboration, just receive. It takes the only word that I can come up with that it that this in this direction is bravery. 
it does not get easier. If it's getting easier, it's probably a mundane path of getting better, improving. And some people, most of the world, if they even are lucky enough to stumble on a sane, sane, balanced, mundane path, that might be all they can do. They might not be ready for this. This kind of practice is not, it's not for everyone to do this. Even the cultural situations in ancient India or China or Japan, where now they have hundreds and hundreds of years of Buddha's Dharma happening still, not very many of those people in those countries are actually practicing a profound, radical form of awareness practice or meditation. So this is unusual. Shogabang, when it gets more and more difficult, how can we relate more simply to what's arising in front of us. Yeah. So I'm very biased in this area. I say sit down uh, and face the wall. Do a lot of meditation practice. Do a lot of it. Very simple. Sit down. You don't have to chant sutras all day long. You may have to. That may be a form that might help you in some way. But the important thing is to sit down, hold still, and practice just receiving, just receiving. As you've heard me say, 15 or 20 times, the most profound form of generosity uh, is to give everything your attention. Give it your attention. And then whatever shows up, the other part of generosity is receive what is offered to you by this incredible world that we're living in. Shukabang, it seems like it's... Seems like what? I, um, it seems like it, it gets so difficult sometimes that I don't even know how I get out of bed in the morning. Mm. So that sounds good. What is that? How do you relate to that? Just continue. It's just part of the path. This may never uh, happen to Juzan or to Kelly. That kind of thing. Just you might tell them about it. I don't know. I don't know. But they might have a, a description of what they're going through in their practice that you have no clue about how that is working for them. And part of that is we try to figure things out instead of just see it as it arises. The actual knowing is the not knowing. The actual not knowing is the knowing. But we split and divide. We divide everything up because it gives us an artificial feeling of safety. Well, at least I know. So what is happening to you as you talk about getting, you don't even know how you do that. That's awareness. Do it anyway. You're a fully ordained monk. You're in for it. When I say you're in for it, very, uh, uh, to say it literally, very good karma to even find yourself in this position. Most people are fighting with their world in the name of what? Freedom or, or I just got to be me. Or what are all the other ones we hear about? Many of them. So what is happening to you is exactly what needs to happen. Just continue to return to the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the teaching person, that which is being taught, and the community of people who are all trying to understand that coming from all these different points of view. Getting out of bed for you and getting out of bed for uh, Chun Chu is different. For one thing, you don't have crutches. <laughs> How's that coming? Crutch out of bed with crutches, is that? 
Working okay. You have to get help. You have to get help. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead. It, it seems like um, I want to try and define or label what it is, and I go to the two of depression or exhaustion, and neither of them exactly fit. Mm -hmm. So when I'm relating to that, uh, will I eventually see your no, no fortune telling going on. No. So the exhaustion is your name for something. And what was the other one? Depression. Depression is your name for something. So, so you don't have to maintain it, but flash on or return to what it is without a name. It's a dense, you know, I can describe it a little, a dense, sticky uh, feeling of crap that feels like it's in your mind. So you can call it depression. But as soon as you label it, give it a name, even though that's descriptive and that may be, may help for you talking to, uh, talking to your meditation teacher or your therapist or, or your partner or someone like that. It might, but best to just stay with, and I don't mean maintain. So it's not when I say stay with it. I'm not saying, like I say, stay with sitting meditation, but you don't have to meditate 24 seven. You, you need to get in here quite a bit. Sit down, hold still, watch what moves, watch, observe, observe, train the mind to see clearly. Whatever's coming, whatever's going, whatever's coming, whatever's going, without naming, without categorizing, without putting it in any, uh, uh, giving it any positionality at all. More? This is yours. <laughs> <laughs> this says, was Eric that sent this? Somebody, one of your friends gave you a lacy, and I can use this? Yeah. says your name on it? Mm -hmm. They spelled it wrong. Sorry, I just messed it up for you. It says, um, um, is that Onion Bunny? Onion Bunny. Yes, no, it says Uno. Onion Bunny is uh, a nickname. Shall I keep it? Sure. Okay, got that out of the way. Kevin Bowing. Yes. Earlier, you said uh, something along the lines of, "If it's if it's true discipline, we won't see it because discipline is just the form." So, I, with with a form, say in the temple. I feel like that's a form that I can see, but in my so-called everyday life, is there some natural discipline that's taking place? Bowing. Yes. And the way to approach that is going to be quite a bit different for each person uh, and may change uh, one week after the other, or may go for four or five months one way and then start to shift. And rather than think uh, thinking that the shifting of that is wrong, we can just Go with that and be uh, the discipline. Discipline may not show up as uh, will not show up as obeying anything or anybody. It's about aligning oneself with the form. And that takes some time. Uh, if you come to this monastery and live, which you've been here uh, before, you know that these forms are pretty strong and they're, they're not exactly strict in the in the uh, traditional sense of the word as you have to do it. But they're strong or they're strict in the sense that they're this is it's this time, 
the Han and Bell start at quarter to seven every morning, or most every morning. And then, uh, and then meditation starts at seven o'clock, and then about 10 minutes after, I think. Then the sutra chanting goes on for 30 minutes or so. And then if you're here, that's what you'll participate in because you agreed to do that. But that doesn't mean that if you're here and you didn't get any sleep last night, that you, you don't, I mean, you, it's very situational. If you make it very situational, the, the discipline part starts to show up after a while that you need to go and do this. You need to, it, it's not that you don't even have a conversation with yourself. You just find yourself on the cushion. But you may have to do a lot of that with uh, the feeling of obeying it for a while. You may have to start out with, I need to do this. I need to sit down. I need to get there at seven o'clock every morning. So you may have to do that for a while, but eventually the understanding goes beyond the kind of relative value of it. It needs to because meditation does not particularly feel good. There's not a big payoff to sitting meditation, especially after you've been doing it for a few years. This takes a long time. Kevin Bowing. So do these relative forms then help to point us toward an ultimate discipline, bowing? Yes, the ultimate discipline is you're not separate from anything, so there is no discipline. But the, we, we start out with something, and some people need to have a very strong uh, forms that they can relate to, that they make a commitment to. That's why we have monks. This is hard to do. And people who are fully ordained as monks have decided to just dedicate their life to this. They still may have jobs in our society. We don't have a, a culture that supports monasteries. We have to do it ourselves. So some people need, but just so dependent upon the different uh, dynamics that are happening in anybody's mind stream. Did I get anywhere near what you were looking for? Kevin Belling. Yeah, yes, and, and as you were talking, I, I remembered something I think you once said. Does, does this sound right? That uh, I think you said discipline is not wanting something else, bowing. Pretty good, yeah. Who said that? I did? Yeah, you said that. <laughs> Thanks for helping me with my memory. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, you could. It's kind of simple if you look at it. You're sitting there, and uh, it's time to sit, so you go sit, and you don't, you don't really want anything else. You don't even want anything that's there. You just sit, just observe, just observe. You're kind of, it's it's almost like it's not exactly like this. So you can't really take this to the bank. It's not that relative, but it's kind of like you're just just depersonalizing your whole thought stream your whole mind by not really believing or disbelieving or ignoring anything. Anything that arises is fine. It's like having all the, the doors and windows taken off your house and everything gets to come. The birds fly in and uh, the uh, uh, Gestapo troops march through the front door and look for you, but they can't find you. Kevin Bowing, I believe it's gazpacho troops. <laughs> I think gazpacho. Thank you for correcting me. I'm, I have trouble with Sanskrit. <laughs> yes. When I'm caught up in relative imaginations, yes. is it helpful to return to something? Should I endeavor to just be in those? Sitting practice or post-meditation? Post-meditation. Uh, I wouldn't do anything with it at all. Sitting, sitting practices, so you're actually creating a situation where you're 
you're creating a stronger, uh, instead of trying to bring meditation into uh, your daily life, don't do that. Now, unless, and unless you're listening to somebody who teaches that way, then st stop listening to me. Go listen to them. I mean that. I'm not trying to chase people away. But if, if this, what I'm saying uh, somehow doesn't work, then do something else. You may need to listen to someone who trains about being more mindful in the present moment, being more, more mindful of, I, I don't know how to even say it. But I would say just hang out. You get up off the cushion, go and be genuine. Just be yourself. Be the emotions you're trying to get rid of. That does not mean, and that probably won't show up so much as you might be worried about it, that you're going to suddenly act out your feelings. You probably will be less likely to do that because you're more aware of the way the emotions look, and it's more painful. It could be more difficult. But you don't move from the emotion that arises in the mind stream or in the body to making your vocal cords get rid of it by yelling at someone or complaining to someone or insulting someone, blaming whatever. You just don't do it. Even though relatively you see that they caused that on some level, they triggered the, the feeling, but it was your feeling and you need to be responsible for that. That doesn't, responsibility does not mean blame. It just means that you respond to it. You need to respond to everything. You're responsible for everything. So am I. This is our world. We're responsible for this. Sir? Sometimes you talk about the teacher as someone who introduces you to your world. Yes. What is the world that we're introduced to? Your mind. When you talk about introduction, it seems like a, like an initial pointing, and then it seems like there's more beyond that. Oh. How'd it feel to get out of bed? You wouldn't be doing that if you weren't talking to me. When I say that, I don't mean that you wouldn't be per se, but you, you wouldn't be able to cover that up with not knowing what it is. You'd cover it up with knowing something. You'd conclude something about it. But with me, talking to me, I, I don't support that approach to it. Just feel like crap. Don't abandon that for who caused it or how you're doing, or any kind of evaluation at all. Anything other than just the raw material of the, the emotion itself. That, that where you actually get close to pratitya samapada or dependent origination, or the truth of the Buddha taught. There are no separate things anywhere. You're not separate from anything. I'm not separate from anything. I see it. You don't. And what do I see? I'm separate. I don't see anything else. I just see this. And it's not, it's neither me, nor is it you. It's not separate. You can see that. And it won't be a conclusion. It isn't something that, that has an, a, a background to it. It doesn't have a past. You're no longer, you've actually transcended the whole, what, is they, what do they call that? Somebody talked about that recently, asking me about the space-time continuum. Who is the ass that asked me that? <laughs> Not even a scientist. Although I want to be. You have a question? Okay, good. Go ahead, Kelly. Kelly Bowen. You've said not to, and you don't have two selves and either ors. And when we're noticing that there's lots of twos and lots of either ors that are showing up, what? Yeah. What do we? 
do or when we notice that there's the twos and the either ors and there's a lot of them. Yes. And what's a question? What do we do? What do I do? With you're, you're already doing it. You're aware. It's awareness of that, but you're not since you since you're meeting them as separation, as the polarity. You're you're looking at the polarity. Uh, this to the ego mind, this is like, oh my gosh, I don't know what to do. I need to figure something out. I need to, I need to, and people will come and say, you know, you need to make some decisions in that area and you need to make the right ones. <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a, a society is flooded with that kind of, uh, uh, you know, bologna sandwiches. So it's just, it's, it has its own value, but it's not going to work ultimately with what any one of us is dealing with, just an unknown aspect of relative truth. We don't know. And so I would say, don't do anything. So just observe the the disparity, or just, just uh, observe the the what 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 should I shouldn't I should I or 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 just just observe that. Yeah, if you just observe it, it can't last. But if you if you push on it or fight with it or try to wring some kind of uh, uh, sincerity or some kind of accuracy or some kind of truth out of those uh, situations, you'll get something. But it'll be just that. It'll be more relative truth, which is more circles, which is more why because, why because, why because. So the ego mind can get a sense of, well, finally, I figured that out. But if you say that, if I finally I figured that out, you've probably not. You've not understood. So it's more about you understanding. So face the wall as much as you can. Get to the wall. Get to the monastery now that you live closer as much as you can. But also just find a wall and sit down. Do it. Every 20 minutes, do it every three days, but, but get there somehow so that, so that the, what's showing up, what you're describing here is showing up in your business situation or your home situation or domestic situation. So that you meet the, meet that. I'm going to use the fancy word here. So you, that you meet that with as much equanimity as possible. Because to try to meet it with, with trying to figure out which, what's right, what's wrong, what I should do, what I shouldn't do, that's not equanimity. That's, that's the, that's the, that internal oligarch and the consciousness that wants to be right and wants not to make any mistakes. And it's about reputation. It's about not being wrong. You know, all this. Have, have a willingness to just not know, just be wrong. Live in a, live, uh, you know, just live in the middle of that boat with all those oars. Just live, just take your seat. Take your seat there. We didn't do that, and we chose something. <laughs> um, really? Like what? Like instead of keeping two jobs, just having one. Mm -hmm. um, Are you asking me? Yeah. Yeah, just have one job. <laughs> <laughs> you told me to, and I did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, good. But so now that. Um, I don't do anything unless you have to. I had to eliminate yes. the one of the choices and be here. Okay. Um, what do I do with the guilt? Guilt? I just look at it. Guilt doesn't... I mean, guilt is difficult and feels crappy and so on, but don't cover it up with anything. Don't, don't talk yourself out of the guilt. Like I should, don't say when I say it, you're asking me. So I'm saying, 
but don't say, uh, don't feel guilty, or you shouldn't feel guilty, or I shouldn't feel guilty. Of course you should. It's dependent on there isn't. What's, what is a deeper understanding of, of that is the guilt gets to come and go and do whatever it wants. It's always welcome in the house. But the personhood, the who you fundamentally are, your fundamental nature, your Buddha nature, your awakened nature, that which was here way before you were even, even born, that's available. It just takes takes work to get to that. So you might have to receive, but receive the guilt without any comment. And you'll notice if you don't do anything with it, it runs out of energy because it gets its energy from being pushed away. I shouldn't feel guilty. Or, well, of course you should feel guilty. Look what all these mistakes you've made. You know, you don't deserve to have any success. Internal kind of parenting going on. More? Good question. A question from Ken in New York. Ken Cho. Ken Cho. Yes. You sometimes call sitting practice voluntary stress. In what way is that different from the stress that kills in popular culture? Well, I think it's just that the stress that is in popular culture, as you use your word, is that you didn't, uh, you're not agreeing to look at that. So therefore you're fighting with it. So it tends to ramp up and be even stronger and can actually go because you're not, you're not working with it in your consciousness. You're shutting down. So therefore that tends to, because body and mind are not separate. So therefore it tends to, it wants to express itself. It wants to have, it wants to have a say. So it's going to have a say through your kidneys or through a heart attack. Am I, I I'm not a doctor. I don't know anything about this. I'm, I look at all of this through awareness. I really don't have relative information, but that's how it's showing up here. So you can actually take that uh, body mind that you have and sit down and just get to know yourself. So you relate with uh, with whatever is arising uh, in the mind in a, in a more with with some uh, balance. Um, it, it's not balance you create. It's just that you stop knocking everything over, trying to get your way or trying to get some artificial safety or get some artificial accomplishment, anything that we can do other than just this karma that we agreed to deal with. Do we, do we sign on the dotted line? I don't, did we? I don't know if we signed on the dotted line, but there's, there's, a, there's an understanding when you come into this situation, there's an understanding that transcends a relative understanding. That's why we're here. You can, you can, you can return to your original face. You can return to your, your true nature. It's not going to show up as an experience, particularly. You may not run out into the kitchen and say, my God, I think I've just discovered my true nature. <laughs> Let's have a drink. <laughs> You're probably not going to do that. You know, it may be, uh, it, it probably will be just, it's just a, it's just a tacit understanding. It's a subtle understanding that you, you are not separate from anything and you are completely not threatened by anything. If you're threatened by anything, it's going to be very difficult to work with other people and help them. If you're working out of success and failure all the time or uh, result getting uh, always having to get results. So that's where the stress comes comes from uh, in the corporate world. It's got to be horrible. It's like a, a highly stylized and polished hell realm where you don't see any, you don't see the demons or the red eyes. You don't see the horns and everything, but you know, you see a lot of business suits and, and a depersonalization of it in such a way that well, I don't need to go any further. I think you know what I'm referring to. And it's not always that way every time in every situation. 
Unyana, do you have a question? Unyabawain, I was going to go back to Kelly's uh, question about uh, what is guilt? Bowing. Just ego. Ego. Um, there is such a strong belief we are so enamored of ourselves that when someone close to us has uh, does this and does that and then and they come back and said, I did this and this and this, and you said you would help me and you spaced it. And then you, I did. And then we start to feel guilty about it. This is just, it's, it's ego. You're not in charge of this situation. And I'm not saying that you didn't miss uh, helping someone when you said you, that you, that you were going to help them. But to take that, like, I am the one who created that terrible situation for you. And I'm so guilty. I just feel so. You could torture yourself for years with that. And it, the, the amazing thing about it is it's, it's completely untrue. You, know, you, you don't have any say-so about anything. And if you think you do, suffering, suffering. It can be more intense because we, something goes wrong that we could have, you're looking, I could have saved that person from committing suicide by, because they talked to me that one day and, you know, give me a break. You're not that important that you can somehow be this hero person. Knock it off. Don't do that. Don't torture yourself. It's, it's an odd kind of narcissism. It's an odd kind of self-centeredness that somehow you think that you could have. Bullshit. At the same time, it doesn't mean that you go the other direction and say, I'm not responsible for anything. <laughs> anything that happens is not my fault. So, no, there's some kind of ability to respond in any situation, given the situation. So it's a situational thing. But if you somehow miss, you miscounted or you misaligned yourself, you thought it was time to do it now, but you, you had something else that drew you this way, instead of seeing that whole dynamic, there's no way you could have saved that person from, from dying. We, we tend to go into that and think that we have some kind of say-so about it. I have more to say about that, but it would be better if I was responding to a question. Go ahead. Shokobang, what is the distinction between something arising that's dependently arisen like guilt and then the imputed? In the what? In the imputed kind of uh, guilt. It's dependent origination. One is the dependent origination that's showing up that doesn't have an obvious uh, support behind it. And the other one that has a more obvious support behind it, which is me, but they're all untrue. Me and what I should have done. Is that what you're asking? Me and what I could have done. Me and what I better do. Shokobang, I guess sometimes it seems like I'm not really clear on what is arising in the mind stream as dependently arisen and what's arising as, um, I'm continuing to feel that with mutations. You're not aware of that? I don't know. Well, you just described it. Must be some kind of awareness there. You described two different situations, didn't you? But you, now you're telling, you, telling me you're not aware of those? Something you just described? I guess I'm looking for something else, for something more definitive or something you just have all kinds of awareness today. Amazing. Been practicing a lot. 
What was your question? So what is the distinction between an emotion that's arising is dependently arisen and the imputed uh, emotion? Not separate. It's called a perfected nature. But you have to see it. It can be just some kind of conjunction of concepts in your mind stream that helps you logically figure it out. You have to see it. Who, who had the question? Katie Bowling. Go ahead, Katie. You mentioned in situations that sometimes we can think that we can fix something. And I find often I see that I can't and I feel extremely helpless. And I don't even know what to do with that, Bowie. Uh, the way I'm hearing it, the way I'm understanding what you're asking about, uh, unless you can be more specific, I would just say just sit a lot, a lot more sitting meditation. What you're doing is you're you're cutting into your everyday relative activity in your life, going to the store, um, shoveling snow, whatever may be happening in your life, making the bed, doing laundry, fixing lunch. Uh, you're cutting into that by putting everything in neutral insofar as you can sit down, hold still, face a wall, have your eyes open. As you know, you practice Sazen, Shikantaza. Yes. And just receive. And, and, and that awareness that is, is being, um, is kind of reconditioning your, the way you relate to phenomena, whether outside uh, your mind or in, or apparently inside your mind. You're, you're changing your way, your dynamics so that you just receive rather than you add on and have a commentary. Making a, it's like having a, uh, you're no longer making book reports on anything. Whatever shows up is just that. You see it, but you, but no comment. Katie bowing. So when I'm seeing somebody in front of me that that it's obvious that they're suffering and they're in pain, and I know that I can't really do anything about it, but I want them to not be in pain. How do I proceed, or do I even proceed? Do I just do nothing? Bowing. You give me a lot of ors there, <laughs> uh, but I'm going to say to you, and I'm saying this very, very definitely: don't stop looking at them, don't stop listening to them. Don't stop smelling them, tasting them, perceiving their presence, but mind your own business. Don't interfere with them. Just your, ju just your being present and listening, receiving is an incredible gift. It's rare to meet someone who will just listen to what's happening with you and not give you some stupid advice. Just receive. If the person is so generous to come in before you and talk to you and present their mind stream to you and their difficulty to you, you, you could actually be generous also and just receive what it what receive. And if they badger you and say, Well, what would you do? What well, I've just told you everything. Don't you have any advice for me? You could say, No, I don't. It sounds you could say a little bit, you could say it sounds very difficult. Now, I'm not saying that's going to be uh, some kind of a standard or protocol. You're always going to do that. But I'm just giving you an idea that you could just do that. You're not required to the kind of help we give people. Uh, it's not necessarily uh, line up with the standard idea of, of helping someone. Sometimes we want to help somebody just because we want a credential of being someone who's helpful. Rather than if you're fundamentally helpful, you might not do anything. But if you're interested in a credential, I'm not saying you are. 
if you're interested in a credential, you might just go into a, um, a form of living where you're looked at as somebody very helpful, like a nurse or a doctor. And this does not mean that doctors or nurses aren't completely necessary and aren't really helpful. I'm just saying the intention, the motivation there is important to, to look at for each person if they even have an interest. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. Other questions? Daniel Bowling. Go ahead, Daniel. Is there a difference between guilt and remorse for harm that we may have done to somebody? Yes. Yeah. The remorse is much more. Remorse is just, it's very simple. We just, um, we feel bad about something we stumbled into and broke something or did something to somebody. Uh, it was a mistake or something, but, but guilt is, uh, is, has a little bit more of a, of a self-centered, uh, uh, the self is trying to get some kind of, uh, support for being somebody who was really bad and really wrong. Whereas remorse is you're not giving away your, your, your status as a human being. You're just, you know, have some remorse over that. Have remorse. But you also, I, I can elaborate on the story a little bit. You also see that, you know, the, uh, say if you have remorse for something you did when you were 16, you could also have remorse, but you could also see when you look at it, uh, I wish I hadn't done that kind of thing. I wish that, that had not occurred, but you also realize you were 16. Uh, you're operating out of a, um, a mind stream that was uh, not particularly sophisticated and not that there aren't a few 16 year olds that are, uh, doing okay. But so you, you have an idea of the, all of the causes and conditions around it without buying into it, without becoming some kind of an attorney. And, you know, you just have, you just have that feeling and then you can, you can have some remorse, some sadness about, something that happened or occurred. And that, that way, you, you, the whole situation is still in balance. You're not fighting with dependent origination and try to be the savior of the world and so and can't be. So therefore, you feel terribly guilty. Daniel Balling, thank you. Um, yes, one follow-up question to that is, um, <clears throat> so when, uh, for instance, we'd be looking at that remorse um, and recognizing those causes and conditions and putting that into context, that is that a form of pushing on it, or is that not a form of pushing on it? Doesn't sound very pushy. I wouldn't go with an either either or. There's a little bit of that in there, but it's not it's not an overwhelming situation, and it's it's a it's very good material for just observing. Uh, it's an area that you can actually look at that and see how it kind of drifts away. Uh, and it's, uh, it might even get stronger if it's guilt, but if it drifts away, then you've acknowledged it. You, as it says in our, in our, uh, in our vows, uh, uh, all my, all my, um, how does that go? Does anyone remember the vow? The, my, all of my ancient wrongdoings from beginning of time, I fully avow. So you just say, yep, I did lots of stuff and I, and I understand it and I'm, and I'm aware of that. But, but there's no apology. The apology thing is fishy. I sometimes say, I'll say now, apologizing once is okay. Apologizing more than once, then it's more about getting some kind of forgiveness and dragging out some forgiveness for somebody. This is not helpful. So if you do something where you made a mistake or made uh, somehow 
disturb someone, you could say, I'm sorry. One time, that's about them. Then you actually are apologizing. But if you say, I'm sorry, and you say it again, you say, then you're, you're trying to get, it's, then it becomes more about your, uh, self-centeredness, about trying to get, get your feeling of being wrong somehow let off the hook or something. Apologies, forgiveness. Forgiveness is a, a theistic approach. I'm not saying that's wrong. Some people may need to do that and they should, I'm all about that. They should be, do whatever they need to do. But it's just, it's putting all of the stuff outside of yourself rather than you're responsible for this. This doesn't mean ego. It means you as a, as a, a consciousness that is, sh- is showing up in a human form, uh, and, and realizes and, uh, you realize your true nature. And you stop making, you stop um, being a nuisance to the rest of the world, as Trungpa Rinpoche would say. Teresa Bowen. Teresa. Earlier, when you were asked, answering Shoka's questions about, you know, getting out of bed and inspiration, and when we are in that place of stuckness, depression, whatever it could be labeled. What are ways that we can inspire ourselves to get to the cushion? Bowing. So if you're, let's say it this way, if you're having difficulty getting to the cushion, then write some post-it notes or write some index cards and put them in different places and remind yourself. The one that I used uh, years ago was uh, I... I meditate every morning at seven o'clock and I just, you know, it's not, I'm going to, it's I meditate. And then I noticed how I would avoid that or not look at it or not meditate. So that is just, uh, I'm not sure if, if that's going to be helpful to you, but it's that kind of a situation, set up some kind of a structure that you're going to run into that that can't be meddled with. If it's just in your mind stream, then, then that can take change shapes. But if you write it down and you put it on your on the mirror in your bathroom or on your nightstand or on your uh, refrigerator or someplace and it couldn't show up uh, that description could show up differently for each person could just be i meditate for one hour every day no matter what Uh, i think in in the shambhala tradition they tried to i don't know if they do it now because i'm not so connected with Shambhala, but back in the late seventies, uh, they started having, I don't know whose idea it was, might've been, uh, Trunk Parampaches, but they came out with a little meditation books. So you keep track of all the hours you meditated. And, uh, it was very irritating. <laughs> I did it anyway, because he was my teacher. So I did it anyway, but I did not like it. And I, and I wouldn't recommend it. Unless you feel like you want to do that, you want to write down and keep track, then I would think that would be appropriate. But to have somebody stick that book in front of you and say, do this, uh, I don't think that that's so workable. More about that? Did I get anywhere near? Teresa Balling, that that was helpful in the sense of I do as opposed to I'm going to. Um, at one time you 
actually asked me to stop meditating? Are there times when when we when how can I like look at that and allow myself space to perhaps just stop meditating? Bowing. So you may you may need to do it with a form. Um, you, you may you may need to set up a form where you're where you say ahead of time, you say starting next Tuesday, I'm not going to meditate for a week. And then at the end of that week, I'm going to begin meditating again. So you may need to do something like that. This is not something I would particularly recommend, but it depends on the dynamic that you're working with in your own mind and how long you've been meditating. So I it doesn't mean that uh, you won't come back to meditation and also there's no guarantee that you will come back to meditation but the important thing there and i'll put it in, the, in these words it's very important to have respect for your confusion and not try to bully yourself this is, is this is a big misunderstanding based on the cultural situation that's been going on for you know 2500 years so uh, a strong macho kind of controlling uh thing that comes out of ancient Korea or Japan and somewhat from China. And Tibetan Buddhism also is full of really strong forms where you have to obey just a strong parental kind of approach to it, even for, even more than parental. And that may have been uh, necessary in medieval times and ancient times, just because of the nature of the culture, but not now. It's not, not important. We need to, uh, uh, we need to just do this differently, not go back to some ancient uh, uh, patriarchy. We need to do it with our awareness and with our intelligence, with with the intelligence and incredible sophistication that we have. Look at look at the technology we're using. Just uh, you know, even a couple of years ago, this was not possible. So it's, now we have a whole we have what fifty six people on uh, Zoom and another dozen people here in the Zendo. That's, a, that's quite a bit for a, such a small community as we are. Choo-choo. A question from Udi in Connecticut. Udi. If we are not separate from dependent origination, fundamentally, what does it mean to stop interfering? How can we interfere or step out from what we are a part of? We can't. Thank you for the question. Very clever, Udi. <laughs> so that, that style, that style of question, and is very powerful. But this is what we, this is a, this is ego language. I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm not saying you're, Udi. It's terrible that you asked me that question. You're so egotistical. I don't mean that. I'm just saying that. That is the way this incredible logic that the ego has, it can look at something and turn it around and say, how can we, if this is this, then how do we, so and I, well, I'm going to say you can't, uh, but what I'm uh, but the deep understanding of what, if someone is clear about what this is, they'll know exactly what I'm pointing to. And what is it? I'll tell you, there isn't anyone. There's no one to step out of anything. I realize that you're done for this is a, the individual assumption of a separate self is no longer there. It's called liberation. And it's very, very simple. 
and it's not an occurrence. If it's something that was this way, but now it's this way, this is not it. This is more materialism. question from Nancy Tremaine. Nancy, <laughs> it's about time you asked me a question. She asks, I have had nightmares about someone I love. Do I warn this person or keep it to myself? Oh my, that's so situational. Uh, I mean, it would depend on what you're, you know, if you see them every day, if you're talk to them, talking to them a lot. If it's somebody, you know, the, all the relationship dynamic that is showing up for you uh, with that person would would give you an idea. I would say less is better. But since you're asking me the question, you could touch in with that maybe a little bit. Um, uh, just uh, sharing something that's happening uh, with you. And I know and you're a very psychic person. So and depends on this person, what their dynamic is with you, the, the causes and conditions and the dependent. The, the things that are dependent on one another is so complicated. But I would say less is better, but I don't, I don't mean to turn that off and go the other way. So it's not an either or. I would trust your intuition, which uh, is considerable. I would trust your intuition to look deep in, deeply into that. And if you look deeply, look deeply, look deeply. And of course, sitting meditation is very important. I don't know how much of that you do, but sit still, sit down, hold still, look at the wall and don't add, subtract, or divide. And yet, if you do add or subtract or divide, then just watch yourself do that. And when you come in contact or with that person that you describe that you're having the nightmares about, here again, I would say less is better, but don't turn it off. There might be, you might say a little bit about it, and then you might get some feedback. Uh, it could be, I uh, don't misunderstand. I'm not giving you the form. You need to have the form. But you might say, if you're talking to them, uh, I've been dreaming about you. And then see if they're, oh, and then uh, before you tell them that it's somehow threatening or something, go very slow in that area. Further questions? No? Are we done? Isaac Bowing. I have a quick one. Go ahead, Isaac. Um, so recently I noticed I'm sitting in my chair opposed to the cushion. Um, is that okay, Bowing? <laughs> Damn right. <laughs> That's good. Sit in that chair. Yeah. Chairs are good. Yeah. You can sit wherever you can. Just to go over that really quickly, any place you can hold very, very still without being rigid, sit in a symmetrical posture, and that, that may not always be sitting right up. You might lean back a little bit. So you're a, a young man, so, um, and I know you have some health considerations, I won't go into that, but you know, if you can, don't have any back support, it's just sit up like this um, as much as you can, but you know, not everybody can, uh, can do that. So. Uh, but the chair is fine. Stay in the sit on the chair from now on. It doesn't have to be a zafu uh, on a um, on a zabutan. And here we even have people sit on chairs uh, in the monastery and, and do uh, shikantaza. Not a problem. All right. Thanks. Thank you. Okay.
Make merit of this penetrate into all places so that we in every sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way. The three worlds, all Buddhas, all Venerable Ones, Bodhisattvas, Mahasattvas, the Great Prajna Paramita. O Buddhas and Bodhisattvas of the Ten Directions and the Three Times, please hear us. Please come down out of the light and protect Sokokoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, our Sangha, families, friends, and visitors. Heal everyone who's unhappy. If you value the teachings of Sokozan and you would like to support his teaching work and the functions of Sokukoji Buddhist Temple Monastery, which also supports monk and practice residents, please consider giving a donation by visiting our website at sokukoji.org.